If you're looking for a little more flexibility in your financing and you want to know all about the world of private financing, pay attention to this upcoming episode. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So had a wonderful day, had a full-on morning here training uh, my inner circle community with, you know, we were diving headfirst into some strategies on how to maximize cash flow as real estate investors. And we had a lot of fun. Delivered, uh, geez, I had to think of probably another 50-some page slide deck and prepared a whole bunch of uh, a three-step program on how to maximize and optimize cash flow for real estate investors. And then we're going to have a, a session tomorrow night. So I, I delivered this presentation to my community today. I'm going to give them a day to digest it and go through it and all that wonderful stuff. And then tomorrow night, we're going to unpack it all. We're actually going to get back, jump on a on a webinar together, and we're going to dive in and we're going to do a big giant group think and brainstorm and implementation all around talking about the latest Bank of Canada increase and the new interest rates that are coming out, uh, my predictions for it, but most importantly, what to do about it, what action steps we need to take. And most importantly, like, let's be honest, if you're all sitting there, you know, Bank of Canada raised its rates. Yes, it did. But the most important thing, or I should say more importantly, that you're probably more concerned about is how does this impact your bottom line? How does this impact the bank statements. Because, you know, I think I use this analogy, if if you got to go to the peanut butter jar above the, the you know, the top covered and the top shelf in the kitchen above the stove, and you got to pull out a little extra money each month for your real estate portfolio, that wears pretty thin. So how do we optimize our cash flow? I set aside a giant three-step framework for everyone on the community to dive into. And it was really good. You know, I'm you know, truth be told, I'm I'm actually a, a horrible critic of my own work. And with this one, I actually, when I was putting it together, I'm going, man, this is good. And for me to say that something that's really good is uh, something rare. I usually am quite critical on my own work. That's why I usually don't like to edit or listen to myself is because I'm very, very critical. You know, not that I'm judgy of myself. It's, it's that I have a high standard and a high standard and I care. I really care that I produce something high quality for my audience. I really uh, care that I produce something that makes a different difference and a measurable impact on uh, the community of real estate investors. And that's why I'm maybe a little critical is because I have a high standard and I want to produce something very well. Now, don't get me wrong. At times, it's actually stopped me from, you know, shooting the puck. But I'm starting to get over it, you know, 20 plus years in this business. And I guess you can't teach an old dog new tricks every once in a while. Whew. Okay, so we just finished that that presentation. My voice is a little th- hoarse. Uh, I got to, you know, been doing a couple hours. and I got to prepare for another one tomorrow night. So just uh, as an FYI, if any of you are listening to this and you'd like to be part of a really dynamic group, an amazing group of real estate investors, people that, you know, kick butt. People that actually don't just talk about it, people actually do it. People that actually transact properties, people that don't just think about it or wish about it or dream about it or create vision boards, they do all that. 100% we do all that. We set extremely giant goals and we have very big visions and, and grand ambitions. 
but we actually take action. So if you're interested in being part of a group like that, by all means, around this podcast, in the show notes, check out the Raising Capital Academy. That's where you'd be able to get access to my latest, some of my latest trainings. I actually, what did I just create in the last month? Created another probably six and a half hours of content. And people can still get in for a lifetime, one-time lifetime price on that. And I just keep adding more and more materials to it. And I'm just putting out another eight more weeks of interactivity webinars for the entire community. And that's all for free for people that are part of that community. But that is going to change. I'm going to be changing that very soon. I think I mentioned that probably about you know, seven or eight episodes that I'm going to be changing. I just haven't got around to getting it done. So my lack of, uh, or I guess my procrastination to change the price point and procrastination to change the pricing model and procrastination to change the uh, membership model is working out in your benefit. So if you are interested in checking out the Raising Capital Academy uh, around in the show notes, there will be a link. Check it out. We'd love to have you part of the group and part of the community. Okay, gang. So in the opening introduction to this, I talked about private lending, about, you know, and I think in this episode, I used the analogy a couple times about, you know, I use a golfing analogy, I think I used, you know, a toolbox analogy. But here's the thing. Private lending is like another tool or another golf club in the bag. It truly is a specialty item. It's something you wouldn't use uh, every day. It's something you wouldn't use under every circumstances, but it just gives you more options, gives you more flexibility. It gives you one more strategy to use when buying a property. Okay, so in this episode, I tap on the shoulder, a good friend, somebody who hadn't chatted for, for geez, for quite a while. And we go way back, we go back into geez, into, you know, the turn of the, uh, the turn of the century. Hey, sir, sonny. <laughs> uh, we go way back, let's put it that way, 20 plus years ago. And I uh, had a wonderful opportunity to catch up with a good friend of mine, Dale Keller. Dale is uh, one of the heads and leads of Calvert Home Mortgages out of Calgary. He's an expert. Like, honest to goodness, when we were chatting about this, he's been in the business his entire life. His dad set this business up back in the 90s. I mean, in the 90s, in the 70s. And um, they have seen the goods, the bads, the uglies, and everything in between. And he's just a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge. And we dove deep into private lending. And this could be just the start of something to come. You know, there's an entire team over at Calvert, um, everything from learning how to analyze properties and analyzing ARVs after repaired values, analyzing renovations. They have one of the best spreadsheets out there to be able to analyze properties as well. And uh, everything from A to Z, soup to nuts, you name the acronym, they got it. So I've been very blessed to have some amazing people in my life that have, have helped me along the way, that have been amazing resources that I can just go to whenever I have an opportunity to ask them questions. They're just more than gracious and able to help me on my journey. And I'm now paying that forward by helping you on your journey, by introducing you to some of my friends and some of the people that are in my, my sphere of influence, if you will. Okay, so hope you enjoy this one. This is a deep look into private lending and with more information to come. All right, everybody. So with all that being said, let's just welcome Mr. Dale Keller. All right, welcome Dale Keller to the podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be here with you. 
Well, first of all, for those of you that are watching this, you'll know that this episode is going to be brought to you by Gillette, you know, Mach 3 razors, right? We got, you know, there's only a certain amount of perfect heads out there. The rest of them, they just cover with hair, right, Dale? That's exactly right. <laughs> I love your haircut, Russell. You're looking sharp too, my friend. <laughs> it seems like I've been having a lot of bald men on my podcast of late of, of things. And it's just like, um, hmm, I wonder why I, I resonate with the messages that bald men are sharing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very on trend. <laughs> hey, hey, Dale, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to have to pull a quick pivot here on what we're talking about here. I actually, we had this wonderful uh, announcement. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a cardinal sin, everybody. I'm going to date this. We're recording this on July the 13th, Wednesday, July the 13th for Infamous Day. And we had a breaking news announcement here today. Did we not, Dale? There was a Bank yeah. of Canada announcement that raised the prime interest rate by a full 100 basis points, 1%. Now, I know you're in the realm of private lending, but you're on top of these things and you know what? You're finding what's going on. From your perspective, what's going on in the marketplace? What's going on with interest rates? Is it impacting private lenders? What's happening in the marketplace from your perspective, from a short snapshot perspective? Yeah, just from a quick perspective, I would say uh, I mean, it's definitely going to affect us because it affects both our cost of money as a private lender, as well as our borrower's cost of money. Our borrower's cost of money in terms of uh, what they're paying for their other mortgages at the banks, uh, that certainly is of interest and concern to me. And also, I think just, just plain inflation, I think, is the bigger pressure there. I really... I'm happy to see the Bank of Canada attack this with interest rates. Nobody loves paying more, but I do understand that their job is to try and, and cool the market and cool that inflationary pressure, which, you know, as real estate investors, we really need that to be cooled because our costs of not just borrowing, but renovations and other carrying costs uh, are also going up. Yeah. So short-term pain, potentially long-term gain for one. You know, here's one of the things I often have questioned, and you know, there's bigger people and smarter people than I involved in making these decisions. But if you're starting to raise interest rates on people's largest expenses, and that typically might be their mortgages, how is that going to cause inflation to go down? Yeah, it's super, does it make uh, it make affordability worse? Will it not? Yeah, well, we got costs under control, and hopefully, uh, people borrowing a little bit less will uh, cost to cool a little bit. And certainly, for real estate investors, we think about our main cost of money being mortgages. But really, the Bank of Canada isn't just targeting us as real estate investors; they're targeting the whole economic cycle and, and the people that borrow. I really believe that they are concerned about the levels of debt in our country. Most of the real estate investors, though, that I know, they use utilize really good debt. That's healthy debt. That's productive in the economy. It's productive for themselves and they're in building their net worth as well. So those are really good debts, but their target is just a really blunt instrument of raising interest rates for everybody. And, and they can't just target it for, for one specific industry or person or persona. You mean to tell me not everybody out there is a real estate investor, Dale, and the Bank of Canada should be making their decisions based upon us real estate investors? Like, like, shouldn't well, they, shouldn't, actually, like come I on, think, our, our egos we, are so inflated that we should, it should be just about us, isn't it? Well, and actually, in many ways, I think it is a lot about us and our participation in the real estate market, though, because I don't think it's lost on the Bank of Canada how big a force the housing sector is. I can't substantiate it, but I've heard that one third of Canada's GDP is related to housing. So we're no small force as a community of real estate investors and homeowners in this country. So, yeah, I don't think that's lost on them. But, uh, yeah, they've got a big job to do to, to cool inflation. 
Yeah. And arguably we could go down the, let's put it this way. We could do the shoulda, coulda, woulda's over a year ago, should have been, this is should have been happening a year ago that they should have started doing smaller incremental quarter point raises over 2021 and then cooled it down a little bit and had stopped runaway. And then now they wouldn't have to do four quarter points at one shot. And, you know, sometimes when you put a shock into the system, it causes a little bit of anxiety and it causes a little bit of fear and, you know, a little bit of tap in the brake, if you will. And I have a feeling a lot of people are tapping the brake right now. Would you agree with that, Dale? Yeah, I would agree with that. And actually, you know, I, I've taken a different perspective in the last few days talking to some smarter people than I on, on interest rates. And one of the pundits I listened to really suggested that, yeah, you know, the Bank of Canada actually does want to create just a little bit of shock. Not so much that it freezes people, but that it does get noticed and that people act accordingly and slow down their borrowing to slow down inflation. So, yes, I think they're actually doing what they're trying to do effectively, although it's it's just not fun for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I often use the term and I think I used this term in February when they did their January announcement and they didn't do anything. I said they were doing an awful lot of saber rattling, like just, you know, stop or I'll tell you to stop again. You know, they're saber rattling, but they also <laughs> pulled the saber out and did a pretty swa, pretty vicious cut in an wow. increased way. Yeah, and it actually, you know, I will say I'm surprised. I was really expecting them to raise three quarters of a point, 75 basis points, but they raised it a full percentage point, which was a bit of a surprise to me. But so I think that probably feeds into the narrative that, yeah, they're trying to shock just a little bit more to get under quick control because of those increasing prices. Yeah. Now, honestly, we could talk about interest rates and Bank of Canada does until the cows came home. And How's that for a wonderful segue that I see you're right in the middle of Stampede Week out in Calgary. So you're based out of Calgary, I take it, right, Dale? I sure am, born and raised. Are you born and raised right in Calgary or from small town? Uh, no, right, right in Calgary. My parents are no strangers to small town Saskatchewan, where they came from, but uh, my parents moved here to celebrate my birth uh, a couple months later. So, oh, what, what, <laughs> what part of Saskatchewan is the, is the homeland from? Oh, both my parents are from Saskatchewan in the north and the south. So southern Saskatchewan, Admiral, and uh, well, maybe more central north, uh, north of Saskatoon, a uh, little town called Delmas. Okay. Very familiar with both those places, right? So, oh, no. And did I ever have, you know, everybody's probably rolling their eyes now and I go, oh, God, Russ is going to talk about Saskatchewan again. Is Have I ever told you about my six degrees of Saskatchewan theory? No, I don't think so. Oh. But I can imagine it might be less than six degrees. Well, <laughs> So everybody knows the six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation is typically within a conversation, six connections with people that you're connected to each other type of thing. The six degrees of Saskatchewan is two people from Saskatchewan meet and within six connections, you find out you're related. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and my wife laughs at every time I run into somebody from Saskatchewan and I, we have a conversation. Honest to goodness, we find out that we know somebody in, you know, that, well, do you know Joe from Wilkie? And usually ends up being as know somebody in Joe's family from Wilkie. Right? <laughs> that's right. So I think that's actually a perfect place for us to dive into the backstory. So first of all, for, uh, thank you for sharing your top level insights. I'm pulling together a whole bunch of people together for some deep dives into the whole interest rate. I'm pulling together some resources for my community on how to navigate these turbulent waters, you know, just being a good steward, good leader, because I've been through this. Honest to goodness, I bought a bulk of my property when prime rate was 6%. Yeah. And what are we now, three and three and change, 3.7, something like that. And uh, we still have a long ways to go to six. 
right. So, <laughs> so, but times have changed, but um, I, there's a lot of key learnings that I can share with people and from yourself as well. You're a private lender, you're a private lending company. Has it always been this way? Or maybe give us a little bit of back context about the story of Calvert Home Mortgages and where it kind of originated and how it started and, and maybe the family-run business and, and where it's at today. Yeah, well, that's a great question. So my father started Calvert Home Mortgage in uh, 1975. So we've been around a little while. And he started as a mortgage broker. Uh, he, he was uh, doing financing in Manitoba, uh, a little bit in Red Deer, and a partner invited him to Calgary to start a mortgage company. And back then, mortgage brokering wasn't as common as it is today. There wasn't that many people doing it. And uh, so he started mortgage brokering back then and setting up private loans to people and uh, and then selling those loans to other people. So it was a really small business at the time. And it really took a big hit in the 1980s. It was... Uh, I'm talking about inflation earlier. There was a lot of inflation in that market and interest rates were quite high and it was hard for him to make a living at those times. So he put Calvert on hold for a few years, but he came back in full force and started what is really now our private lending fund in the middle of the 80s. And we've been running that fund for quite a long time and we don't do any mortgage brokering anymore. So what I mean by fund is we're a shareholder put together fund. So we run put together a mortgage portfolio uh, with our shareholder raise money and we borrow some money from the bank as well and run that mortgage portfolio. So that's kind of the definition of a mortgage portfolio anyway, private yep. lending, but that's how my, my father got into it. So when were you born, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, 1976. 76. So you know nothing else but the lending business, really. In a way, yeah. Although I never thought I would work here at Calvert, it was uh, it was something that I kind of fell into. My brother was invited to work with my dad um, about twenty five years ago. Uh, he decided that he would join my dad because he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And actually, went to my dad and said, "Dad, I, you know, I've, I got these two job offers with the bank. I've finished my university degree." And my dad said, "Well, what do you really want to do?" And he says, I, "You know, in my career path, I want to be an entrepreneur." And my dad said, I don't think you're going to learn that at the bank, but you can come and sit beside me and we can figure this out and I'll, you'll learn a few things. So my brother started with my dad and they were only three people in the company at that time. So pretty small group and absolutely my brother, who's now our CEO and president, he's definitely learned how to be an excellent entrepreneur. So honest to goodness, your first job was really within the family run business. And I know you're only like 27 now. So you've only been doing this for like nine years type thing, right? <laughs> Not at all. Like, I, in fact, I can't believe I've been doing it for 20 years here at Calvert. And uh, and yeah, I'm double that in age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and here's the cool thing is you and I, I was just remembering back when probably the first time you and I met, and I think it was back through, um, I met you through a connection with Arlen Dolan and Michael Milnar. Yes. And that would have been, geez, the early 2000s probably the first time. And you guys were a really a pioneer in Alberta, primary, a pioneer in Alberta for private lending. You were an amazing resource for people that were doing flips. And you guys are now branching out across the country, I take it. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're uh, now we're lending in Ontario as well as Alberta. And we're really excited about that. Okay. So uh, suffice it to say, Dale, you know what you're talking about when it comes to private lending, private le a fund, and you talk. You know, you you have your finger on the pulses of the markets. You're a wonderful resource for real estate investors. Would that be a, a fair assessment to make? 
Yeah, and I would say that it's a pretty privileged and unique position that we're in because not all private lenders, as many people would know, are uh, at all focused on uh, on real estate investors. We feel really privileged that we figured out how to um, cater to that market. And it was quite by accident at the beginning, but we've really enjoyed uh, our association with, with real estate investors and figured out a niche that can help them in lots of different ways where the money at the bank isn't available or isn't the best suited for them uh, in some of their real estate activities. Now, for the most part, my audience would probably be quite savvy with the whole realm of stuff we've talked about so far. But but you know what? There's a lot of people that are brand new and just getting started, and I welcome everybody onto my podcast. Great. Private lending. How would you best describe what private lending is, define it, and then we'll talk about who private lending is for, and then we'll, we'll go from that conversation. That's a great way to go. So private lending at its core got its name because there was private individuals lending money on mortgages and it was a way to differentiate from the bank lending or financial institution lending. Now, I would say there's probably two streams of private lenders, both individual private lenders, you know, Mary and Joe lend on a mortgage and they don't do mortgages for a living. They're known as private lenders. And then also larger funds whose purpose is to lend money into the market in mortgages. And they're also known as private lenders, although that terminology is shifting in some ways to be called alternative lenders because uh, their primary business is lending money in the mortgage market. Yeah. So it almost could be like an institutional private lender. There's personal private lending, institutional private lending, and then maybe bank lending. That'd yeah. be kind of a... Yeah, exactly. Early, you're kind of right in the... You're like the cream filling on the Oreo cookie, if you will. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, we're quite a big industry in terms of private lenders, but we're very much dwarfed by the financial institutional money. So we're maybe five, less than 5% of the entire mortgages in Canada are through private lenders. So we're not a huge force, although uh, we're still in the billions of dollars. Right. So are, are you governed by over or governing bodies? Is there, obviously there's, you know, it's not just the big giant wild west, you can go do whatever you want as an institutional, you know, private lender, but you have a lot more flexibility than the banks, I would imagine. A great deal. In fact, that's actually one way that we could define a private lender. Financial institutions, with exception of credit unions, all have the, uh, they have the regulation of the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, OSPI. So they have to lend money in the ways that OSPI would require them. And so that's actually, it's a very big box as most Canadians would fit into it, but it's still relatively restrictive um, for their lending activities. So strictly speaking, private lenders like myself are not regulated by OSPI. They wouldn't come in to our door and say that we could only lend to a certain loan to value, for instance. They uh, they wouldn't come in and say we have to stress test our borrowers at certain uh, interest rates above our lending rate. Those are the types of things that they do for the financial institutions, but they don't have any oversight in our realm. Now, that's not to say that private lenders don't have any oversight. Probably the biggest oversight that private lenders have in the country is how they raise the money. So if you want to sell shares of your mortgage investment corporation, your private lender corporation, you have to adhere to the requirements of the securities regulators. So it's it's how you promise your shareholders what you can return and making sure that you don't overpromise. Those sorts of requirements are the biggest level of requirements that we've got as an institution. And then the other real regulators is kind of the free hand of the market, if you will, because the shareholders who decide where they're going to invest their money 
decide on the risk that they want to lend that money at. And so uh, they might look for different private lenders who are aligned with their risk appetite. And to that extent, when we're out raising money, we say to the market, you know, we're willing to lend into the market at X loan to value. And here's the kind of people that we want to lend to. And, and the shareholder decides whether that fits what they want to invest in or not. And, and so that's not formal regulation, but in, in many ways that sets the tone for um, what shareholders want to invest their money in. Right, right. So there's a couple of questions there. For, for So number one is, um, I guess the Oreo cookie analogy is is very is a good apropos one. Is So you have shareholder or you have investors that invest capital in, and then you have people that borrow the money out on the back on projects. That's right. And then Calvert is in between that you kind of risk assess and you do the paperwork and you kind of match capital to project. And then you there's money and there's fees and there's transaction and you just kind of place that around. So feel free to use the Oreo cookie analogy next time you describe that to your business model. I love dessert, so that works for me. That's good. Okay. So really, in essence, your business is a capital raising business. And there's a lending arm at the same time. And the projects that make the money on the capital is the lending of it, as opposed to, say, a piece of ownership in real estate. You're just lending out mortgage products and lending products. Would that be a a fair assessment? Exactly. We're lending against the security of a property. And I think maybe it's important to also distinguish that not all private lenders are mortgage investment corporations, but most are that are professionalized. And a mortgage... Investment corporation is defined under the Income Tax Act. And to skip the boring details, the real value of a MIC is that it has to lend, it has to dividend or give interest income of all it made in the, from its borrowers back to its shareholders annually. And as long as it does that, it's not corporately taxed. So it's, it's a very efficient investment vehicle for our shareholders because there's no taxation level. The tax is received by the government of Canada in the shareholders' hands, if you will, but it's not double taxed both at the corporate level and then that uh, shareholder level. So it's okay. a really efficient way of um, owning shares. And it was actually a really interesting idea that the government had in back in the 70s because they wanted to attract money into the housing sector. There was a lack of capital in invested in mortgages in Canada at the time. And so they found this as a way of trying to attract shareholder money into this market. And it was very effective and it did give borrowers a lot of extra choice and that flexibility like you talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. So... Do you have to publish your funds results and things like that? Is that like it has it's public domain type of thing? Like I'm I, here's I'm going to ask a question. The question I was going to ask is what's the return you typically are paying out right now on people that invest capital in? If you can share that number, would be great. Yeah, sure. Well, our target is between eight and ten percent shareholder return, and uh, we're really blessed we're able to keep that up. In fact, because we've had such long term experience in the market, we can say that we've been in right in that target uh, and on even in our over our 20-year average. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, so that's our target every year. This year, actually, we've done it a little bit better. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, you know, and, and here's the point I'm trying to get to, guys, is 8 to 10% for lots of people. That's fantastic. Like, what is the rule of 72? If, if you get a 10% return on your money, you double your money every 7.2 years. I believe yeah. that's the number. And lots of people want, you know, an 8 to 10 percent return on their money all day long. They'll take that all day long. And I often joke about with private real estate investors, sometimes we feel that if we're not making our investors 30%, 40%, 100% returns on your money every year, we feel like we're failures, right? So it's just all about perspective, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's actually, it's interesting to compare that and contrast the, uh, you know, the way that money is made in the mortgage market compared to how a real estate investor would make their money. Because with the mortgage market, your money's always earning that interest. Whereas in the, as a real estate investor, your money's not always put to use in a property. So sometimes it sits on the sidelines. So you might earn a bigger return on one property, but if that money's sitting on the sidelines waiting for the next opportunity, it's not earning at the time. So maybe you deserve a bigger return as a real estate investor, right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and to that, let's put a little fire in. All right, you're bringing some fire here now. Woo-wee. I tell you, and, and when us bald guys, when we get a little bit of extra sun and fire, we get a little bit of a, a sunburn, right? And of course, whenever you bring a fire, you bring a bomb, right? So I'm also going to date this one again, too, as you're right in the middle of Stampede. Dale, and thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule. And, you know, between seeing Kevin Costner and, and chuck wagon races and flipping pancakes at a pancake barbecue or two, right? You're also doing some work at the same time. So thank you for taking some time out today as well. I'm glad to be here. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I was looking forward to this conversation. We've been trying to coordinate schedules for quite a while. And when we finally locked down this date in July, it was like, awesome. Good to see my good friend Dale. It's been far too long since I uh, had a chance to see you and, you know, talk shop with you, if you will. And, you know, here we're going to have a couple hundred thousand people that will maybe watch over our shoulders and listen to the shop talk as well. Okay, now before we pivot into the next line of question, I did have one other question with private lending that I wanted to ask you is, so typically from my understanding, a bank has money that comes in, they get a deposit, and then they can lend on that. It's still like a 10 to 1 ratio, or is that different? Is that kind of yeah. the number? Um, I'm not sure if that's the number, but for sure they lend that money that they take in as deposits and then they can also borrow money yeah. from others and leverage even more. Yeah. So they can quote unquote manufacture money and lend out more money than they have in deposits. There's a leverageability. Within say your business, that's not the case. I would imagine you have to, you can only lend out what your fund brings in. Is that the case or not? Uh, it's not the case for us, actually. We okay. we actually are able to borrow money from uh, bankers as well who believe in our risk assessment as well. So they don't necessarily lend us money as efficiently as they might borrow their own money. So they make a, a much smaller margin on, per mortgage in their business, but they're doing a much greater volume. Whereas with me, we're, we're lending out a smaller volume. We're making maybe a bigger margin per mortgage deal, but we're not borrowing as much from the bank. Mortgage investment corporations can't attract too much more than a one-to-one ratio of what they borrow. So, you know, a 50% loan-to-value kind of uh, scenario to compare it to a, a, what a real estate investor might consider in their own leverage space. Oh, cool. Very nice. So I did not realize that. That's good. So I would imagine your guys' um, spreadsheets and the algorithms that you guys have would be something to behold the massive spreadsheet that you probably have created over, you guys have created over the years. And I imagine the database has changed from a spreadsheet into something else over the years. Yeah, absolutely. We've. Uh, I love my data. I love to slice and dice my data and understand it at a deeper level. That It's a bit of a hobby for me as well. <laughs> well, it truly is really... This the whole business and the game is really is just is a numbers game. Truly is you bring capital in, you pay a return on that capital, and then you put that capital out into the market in other projects. And the intention is that you make more money on what you put out than what you bring in. And there's money left over for you and you know the car and the wife and the family and passing things on to the kids. 
Yeah. And even some growth to be able to employ some wonderful people here at Calvert. So we're, we're really fortunate because we've really grown into a, into a big team here as well. So, yep. yeah. Nice. So what's the state of the private lending market right now? Like I would imagine, like I'm going to ask a question. Lending is like a pendulum is the best way I could describe it. Sometimes lending is easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Where would you say lending is right now from, say, a bank perspective? And how does that represent for the private lending side of things? Well, that's a really interesting question. I would struggle to answer the question for the all of Canada because it's uh, regionally based very much so. I mean, um, I've really enjoyed lending in Ontario because it exposes me to a different market, different economic fundamentals, different sentiment in, in, in the market. And so I've, and I followed supply and demand forces in both markets. And I would say the, the state of private lending very much mirrors the state of the real estate market in terms of supply and demand. When supply is high, it's harder for private lenders to get their money out and invest in mortgages. When demand is high, usually our capital is also in demand. So I think the really big difference, though, is the private lenders, we probably feel that a little bit to a greater extent than maybe the banks do because they've got such a large balance sheet, such a large amount of mortgages volumes that go in and out uh, on a monthly basis. They're used to those pendulum swings, like you mentioned, more than us as private lenders. So we feel the forces of a change of market a lot more keenly, which frankly, I like because it gives me real-time data as to what's going on in the market. And I can tell by my mortgage payouts, if you will, if people are able to sell houses. Uh, or able to refinance their houses with banks. We do a lot of real estate. Uh, we support a lot of real estate investors doing burrs or flips. And so that resale market or that refinance market is really important for us to watch anyway, because that's a force that has an effect on our borrowers. Okay. Hey, everybody. Sure hope you're enjoying today's episode. We'll be right back to the in-depth information and details on this private lending conversation. But before we do, our team from Streetwise Mortgages, Dahlia Barsoom, has recorded a special message for you. The top three questions that real estate investors are asking right now with solutions. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. And on today's episode, I would like to share with you the top three financing questions we're receiving from investors right now. Question number one is, my variable rate mortgage payment has increased since the rise of Prime and that impacted my cash flow. What solutions do you recommend to help me improve my cash flow and reduce the hit? Currently, locking into a fixed rate to hedge is not the way to go, especially on five-year fixed rates because the differential between variable and fixed rates on a five-year term is about 200 points. That is roughly 2%. So by locking in, you are forcing an increase rather than saving. The way to go is to consider debt restructuring solutions. By debt restructuring, I am referring to strategies such as loan reamortization, swapping more expensive debts with cheaper debts, for example, unsecured lines of credit funds with secured funds, converting a principal and interest payment mortgage to an interest-only loan, or capping the increase on your variable rate by switching to a capped variable product where more goes towards interest versus principal as the rates rise. One or more of these strategies will help you reduce the monthly payment despite 
the higher interest rates. Question number two, property values are shifting in some markets. What should I plan for as an investor? Well, shifting values present both an opportunity and risk to investors. On the opportunity front, you are able to pick up better deals, negotiate better deals as well, due to the reduction in prices. If you want to position yourself to tap into the future opportunities the market will present, set up or increase secured line of credits where possible on existing properties as you will be able to use these funds for down payment and you will be able to jump on opportunities much faster. While the values have declined a little bit, there's still equity in the properties and you should consider doing this sooner than later because the qualification is getting tighter. On the risk front, if you are in the midst of finishing a renovation on a property that you are looking to refinance in the next few months, I suggest that you do not wait until you are done the project to have a conversation about refinancing. It is best to have a conversation sooner than later with your mortgage advisor to discuss how your exit may have been impacted due to lower valuations as well as tighter mortgage qualifications and to come up with a plan to address any shortage in funds. Number two, if you are buying a property, please include your financing or appraisal condition. Gone are the days of going firm with the market rising on a week over week basis from the time an investor had placed an offer. Lenders lend on the lower of two things, the appraised value and the purchase price. So if you're buying a property above what it's worth, you will have to cover the difference from your own pocket. Question number three, my renewal is coming up. Should I go with a fixed or a variable rate? The best thing to do when you have a renewal is not to wait to the last minute. Because if you do, you will be forced to make a decision that may not be to your best interest. And the lender is going to follow up with you and they will end up likely putting the loan on an open rate. So it's always best to plan for a renewal at least six months ahead and not to auto-sign the renewal sheet you are receiving from the lender, but rather to speak with your mortgage advisor for guidance on what is best to do, given where your finances are currently and where your needs are, as well as what your future plans look like. To support you during these changing markets with strategies, tips, and tools, and to help you not just adapt but thrive, check out our new page for frequent updates at streetwisemortgages.com forward slash adapt dash thrive. If you have a pressing question right now or need guidance to navigate the new interest rate environment, email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. So the next question I would be remiss if I didn't answer it is from your perspective of reading the tea leaves and analyzing the data, what are you seeing out there right now? And I 100% agree and will echo that there's no such thing as a Canadian real estate market. Canadian real estate is local. Not even that, it's hyper-local. Like you can have different trends in different markets and even right down to a local level, even down to a house level, it can be different. But what are you seeing a couple macro themes, if you will, of the data that you're seeing across the, from the country? Sure. Well, I'll break them into provincial metrics, although even that, like you say, is a generalization. But 
I'm really excited about where we're at in Alberta. I'm not at all happy to see demand slow down a little bit, but I think we're going into a period of a little bit reduced demand in a really good position. I know you talk a lot about the market fundamentals, the economic fundamentals that kind of belie the real estate market. And we're going into that really strong. Employment's really strong, not just in Alberta, but across the country. I love that Alberta is an affordable place. I really watched the RBC Economics puts out an affordability metric for the entire country. But specifically in Alberta, we're in one of the most affordable provinces in Canada. And that's relative to income. So Incomes are strong here, employment is strong here, and those are the two major ingredients you need to support a healthy real estate market. So even though I do see demand slowing down a little bit, it has to because we're by interest rates going up, we're taking a bite out of people's buying power. So it can't help but slow down demand a little bit. On the other hand, demand was up in the last few months and previous year leading up to this period. Partially because we saved so much during COVID and people were focused on changing houses or, or investing in the real estate market. And, and so we got an increase in demand there that was really beyond my expectations. I was really excited about that. So in Alberta, I don't think it ever got terribly overheated, but it was very strong. So we're going into a slowdown in a very strong position. Yeah, it was trending to go to be un- unsustainable, to be honest. That's right. And actually, that's probably where I'd focus my comments on Ontario, because there it was different. It did get overheated and people were really enjoying a beautiful boom in the real estate market there. Now, we're still net up, but housing demand and therefore prices have come down a little bit. And no one likes to see the value of a house deteriorate, especially if it happens to be yours. But I think there, all things considered, we should look at the whole curve. And uh, we're still net up in Ontario in terms of housing prices. And demand will have to slow down there as well. It it got a little bit overheated. Yeah, you know, the analogy I use in many respects, and, and it's no different than what happened in Alberta in 2007, 2008, That's right. is the housing market went to Vegas and went on a bender. And they got a little bit overzealous and they got equity drunk. And after when you come back from Vegas, for any of you who have been to Vegas, what happens when you come back from Vegas? You're a little bit hungover for a little while. And then your first couple of days back to work, you're going, oh my goodness, Ooh, a little bit tired, a little sleepy. And then you have to eventually catch your stride again. And, and it all depends on how long the stride till you catch it again. It, it needed to take a pause. It just could not keep going like, heck, there was months that there was like a 3.2% growth month over month. And that's unheard of, unheard of. Yeah, it's unheard of. And, and you know, I, I really want, we're a short-term lender. We support a lot of people buying and selling houses. They're, they're mostly short-term transactions. But I really believe that by and large, real estate investors are long-term game people. We've got to look at the long-term supply and demand and the economic forces. And I feel extremely excited about the long-term prospects in real estate in all of Canada, but actually particularly in Ontario, because there's a really interesting CMHC report that came out a couple of weeks ago about our future housing shortage. And they're projected to have a housing shortage of 1.8 million homes by 2030. I mean, we need good homes because we're bringing in immigrants into this country and we need them to support the jobs that we're creating. We're in a very healthy position. So I really think the long-term game, it looks really good. And uh, we'll just have to suffer a little bit of the the peaks and valleys over time uh, to get to the future. But the future is looking great. 
hundred percent. I know if we can just get out of our own way a little bit from, you know, policy of stubbing our own toes every once in a while. And I, I put out an episode just recently of talking about the seven things that Canada has as an economic advantage in the world. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that's an opportunity. I think, honest to goodness, if we actually embrace who we are, that we are an energy seller, we sell energy, we sell resources to the world economy. That is what we are. And uh, if we just embrace it, we can do very well with that as well. And I'm not here that we're rape and pillage the planet and killing ducks and froggies and all that kind of stuff. I'm not here to advocate any of that. I'm just saying Canada has what the world requires. And if we don't actually take view that as an opportunity, I think we're going to miss it, to be honest. And we'll really be a mediocre country in a world stage. And I would hate to see that of my beautiful country of Canada as well. Yeah. All right. So pivoting on from, so thank you very much. I appreciate that snapshot of kind of what's going on across the country. And that's because you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And you you put together a wonderful report, and I'm just going to pull it up here. And you do a lot of work for real estate investors here. And and you pull up, you know, your Calvert Home Mortgages, your economic report, and talk about, you know, this is primarily, is it only Alberta that you do this research for, Dale? We do a research project like this for both Alberta and Ontario and certain uh, cities in both provinces. Okay. So you track this data on a monthly basis and you provide it for your clients as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, selfishly, I want to watch that data myself and understand what are the market forces. So I put so much hard work into doing it. I really wanted to share it with the people that um, that rely on it as well to make their own investment decisions in the market. Yeah. So if somebody was maybe wanting to get a copy of one of those reports, where would someone be able to get a, get a handle on that? Do you have it on your website if they logged in or if they just sent you an email? Where would somebody be able to get that access yeah. to that research you guys do? Yeah, they can always visit our website anytime. We're always, always publishing the monthly data there. And we also put it out in an email release every month too. So if you want to be on the list to make sure it's delivered to you effortlessly every month, just reach out to us. Our email address is on our website at uh, chmic.ca. And uh, yeah, we'd love to make sure we share it with you every month, especially if you're interested in watching those uh, key economic indicators. Yeah. And here's, so chmic.ca, That's right? Cool. That's for Calvert Home Market. And here's the, the team. If you want to check out, see who, Dale and his team. How's Dean doing? Is Dean, Dean still active in the business? He's very active. Yeah. He's doing really well. He's our CEO and president and, uh, He's just making things wonderful around here. He sets nice. an amazing culture for this team. Nice. Was there any any sibling rivalry growing up about that? About who got to have the CEO hat or what's going on there, Dale? <laughs> you can you can tell me. Nobody's watching, right? We won't copy you know Dean in on this. It's actually no secret. It's cr- pretty amazing. You know, my brother and I always felt that we were quite different, but once we realized that those differences were strengths, then we we just started to make magic happen. My brother is is a 10,000 foot kind of person, very good at strategy. I just love the weeds and being into the details and the data like I talked to you about earlier. So uh, we make a really good team because we're uh, we're focused on different things. And we have different talents. Nice, nice. How old are the kids now, Dale? I've got a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, both girls. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. They're, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I'm I'm happy. So you guys are doing well. Everybody's doing well. 
Yeah, really good. We're blessed with a healthy family. I know COVID wasn't great for lots of people, but uh, we came out relatively unscathed. And yeah. Excellent. Okay, so back to the conversation, private lending. Who would you say is an ideal person for private loans? Like who who is private lending for? Uh, That's a really good question. I am very big on making sure that you only borrow for the things that you really need to leverage your business in the right way. And we're really big on that at Calvert. We don't want to lend money where it doesn't make sense. And obviously, the like private lending rates aren't bank rates. So they're not as cheap. And so it's got to be used strategically. You know, our borrowers don't buy houses for long-term ownership at private mortgage rates because uh, they won't cash flow. They won't make sense. But uh, I think the best way that real estate investors can leverage private lending is to uh, acquire an asset, maybe undervalued is the most common thing for our borrowers. Buy something undervalued, fix it up, refinance it at more conventional and long-term sustainable rates for the best cash flow. That's the most common type of use. Or uh, And other investors use our money to buy, fix up, and then resell and just get their capital back in their pockets so they can either invest it in another flip like that or even invest it in another rental property. So I really feel like our best value is to give uh, short-term leverage for a property to increase the total profit for the real estate investor. Sometimes in addition to that, there's some real estate investors who have really good long-term mortgages. And I think going into a higher mortgage rate market, this will probably become more common in the next couple of years. If you've got a really good locked-in mortgage rate, but you need some equity out, it probably doesn't make sense to refinance that whole first mortgage into a higher interest rate. And so sometimes a, more, a second mortgage might make the best sense to get some equity out short-term until the end of that first mortgage maturity, and then refinance the whole mortgage into uh, whatever the prevailing current rates are at that time. So I think that's a good economic way to use private lending. Just you got to look at your overall blended mortgage rate, if you will. So if you're borrowing, let's say, in a second mortgage at 10%, but your first mortgage is 3%, because you're not borrowing very much in second position, your average might be still really close to that 3%, might be 4% or something like that. Uh, And that might be just better than borrowing the whole mortgage at 5%, let's say. So for ease of numbers. Yeah. And especially if there's a big giant payout penalty or something like that too, right? You can easily not have to pay a, you know, I've seen payout penalties in the 20 and $30,000 plus range as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, and there's other opportunities too, and and not all would involve private lending, but we're releasing a blog here this week. Uh, People are welcome to check out on other tools that they can use to reduce their cost of borrowing, even if it doesn't involve private lending, like just blend and extend with their current mortgage lender or or do, you know, port their mortgage uh, if they've got that opportunity. And so, I mean, we're really big fans of people having a mortgage broker at their fingertips to use and to leverage. And there's some great ones out there. And there's some amazing ones, particularly who uh, who really understand the real estate investor need because uh, they're very unique, as you know, Russell. So yep. we're big advocates of that. We can't provide all the solutions in the market, nor do we want to. We really want people to access the best solutions available to them. And, and whether that includes us or not, uh, doesn't matter as long as they get the, the best advice. Okay. Now to steal a, an Alberta saying is you're technically more than a one trick pony, if you will. You know, you're fantastic. I imagine your bread and butter is the flips and the burrs and short term bridge finance. I imagine that's the bread and butter, but blend and extends prepayments. I've seen you, I think you also had something where 
you know, you potentially could pay down the prepayment penalty on something on a short term, you know, pay out some of a mortgage and then pay out something at a less and your prepayment penalty is less. There's just lots of different surgical tools, if you will. Maybe yeah. it's just more like a more like a surgeon and a different kind of scalpel when you're when you're doing this type of thing. Yeah, very targeted. You're absolutely right. And actually, I like to tell people I don't like to give too long a list of how people could use private lending money because what I've learned over my career is that people have some very interesting problems and needs that can be solved with uh, a short-term loan. And they surprise me with the ideas that they come up with uh, where they're they're economically beneficial to do that. So that's, the, I think, the best way that they can use myself and other private lenders is in their, their short-term needs. Probably the best one, though, that I can think of is unlocking short-term value, you know, changing the use of a house, changing its zoning, improving the house with a suite, improving it with just basic renovations, and sometimes even just demolishing the house and putting something else up. I mean, that's not always the case, but there's some very interesting ideas that real estate investors come up with that surprise me on how they can improve their uh, investment in the property and increase the value of a property to the highest and best use. It's always amazing to me. I imagine in 20 plus years of things, you're you're always pleasantly surprised anytime a new a new strategy comes out and a new way of looking at something, a new creativity, if you will. Oh, yeah. Russell, we could have five more podcasts telling stories about how people have, have been very innovative in the way they've changed uh, a use of a house or, uh, or found opportunities on a one-off basis. Like you say, real estate is so local, right down yep. to the, the house you buy and the opportunity you've got to make an investment really work. But well, I'm going to make one final point on that, but then I'm going to pivot into the conversation about risk assessment, because I imagine that's a big part of what you do on a daily basis. So pardon me, guys, I'm going to mix metaphors again. I've talked the Oreo cookie, I've talked surgical tool. Now I'm going to talk a metaphor of golf, right? So think about this for a second. If any of you, it's summer, you know, and maybe I'm talking golf because I want to get out and play a little more. Maybe I'm saying that. But let's say in your golf bag, you have 14 clubs. There's 14 different tools in your golf bag, your driver, your three wood, your five wood. You're going to use those off the tee and you want to bomb the thing as far down the fairway as you want. However, when you get closer to the green and maybe you have to put it over a tree or a water or something, you're going to need something like a flop wedge or a gap wedge or a pitching wedge. So really Calvert provides, you're just another golf club in the bag to provide with maybe a little more precision with trying to get the goal accomplished. Would that be a fair assessment? You know, you're stretching my knowledge of golf, but I think you're probably <laughs> right. I don't know which which club I'd represent, but it's definitely just one of them, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I would call you, you know, maybe even the best one would be you'd be like a gap wedge, right? You're the gap between maybe between the project, between the purchase and the financing, and then there's a gap financing in between. If right. that's a real golf term, then I like it because we fill, yeah, that we is, fill a lot of so gaps. If, yeah. if it wasn't, I would be setting you up for looking silly, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I never would do that with you, Dale. I love you too much. Love you too much. So risk assessment is, I would imagine, that's probably the big part about what you do. So let's just take your bread and butters, flips and burrs. Mm-hmm. Okay, somebody comes to you and they say, I got this wonderful opportunity that I'm buying. And I'm not going to say but Mackenzie Town probably wouldn't be a really good flip area. Boness. Let's go Boness. Okay. Boness is a, for people in Calgary. Boness, I think, has opportunity for upside, but there is also some biker houses in that area as well. Not that there's anything wrong with bikers. That's right. So somebody comes to you and they got this wonderful property of Boness. And how do you assess the risk 
for that person? Do they need to bring you a plan? Like, what's the process to be able to work with you on a flip project? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, that's where I think we really spend a lot of time with our borrowers to figure out what their best move is. Going back just quickly to how we're regulated, because we don't have the regulations of, let's say, proving income and uh, making sure there's debt servicing ratios in place like bankers have to do, we are allowed to look at it more broadly. And and how I would look at a deal like that, like you're describing, would be to focus in on the business plan. You know, if the business plan makes sense to you and you look uh, like you're going to be profitable, then it's going to make sense to me. And so I really try and step into the uh, real estate investor's shoes in understanding what they're doing. And if I can put your shoes on and see it the way you see it and see that there's a profit margin in there, um, you know, that's probably the, my biggest single filter that I look at firstly. I mean, the rest are details, but if, if it doesn't make sense economically from a profit standpoint, I can't make it work and, and nor can the real estate investor either. So that's the biggest number one thing. Well, I actually tell a lot of my clients is you guys are actually part of the diligence process of things is somebody might find it. And if nobody's going to lend on it, right, maybe you have your answer is maybe you shouldn't be buying it, right? Yes. So you guys are part of the process to run a second pair of eyes on the financials and the numbers of the property. That, yes. Is that true? Yep. Yep. In fact, we have, um, we, you talked about spreadsheets. We have a great spreadsheet that helps identify a profitability of a flip and, and just make sure that the real estate investors don't miss any of the hidden costs or carrying costs or they make sure that everything's accounted for so that at least on a on a gross basis they've thought through the business plan in full where we really excel as a second pair of eyes at calvert though is uh, the property valuation what makes us really unique in our industry as private lenders even is we do our own uh, valuation on the property and like uh, in terms of a flip we would look at the current value, but more importantly, we would look at the after repair value. So looking at what the property will be worth once those renovations are complete. And that's a, that's a really difficult skill, even for appraisers who, uh, who haven't a lot, had a lot of those types of files. It can be very difficult. So we actually employ uh, full-time appraisers. They only value properties for our Calvert's purposes, but we share that analysis with our borrowers. And sometimes we come up with some extra cautions or things that the borrower needs to know um, about a property. Maybe they overlook a valuation influence on the property that's negative that uh, might affect how they're going to sell that property in the end. And sometimes we're proven wrong too. Sometimes our real estate investors come to us and point out things that we uh, would miss on a valuation point of view. So, uh, But that dialogue that goes back and forth between us and our borrowers, we really think has the result of producing a better it's a better result for the real estate investor because they're making sure that they're not risking their money unduly uh, and they're taking everything into account that they can. So that, yeah. that second pair of eyes. Well, and I think you're being extremely modest here, by the way, of when you, you very humbly said you have a good analyzer and a good spreadsheet. Guys, I'm here to tell you is the Calvert flip analyzer is the best I've seen. I, and I've seen a lot of spreadsheets and I've seen a lot of analyzers and I've been around for 25, coming on 25 years, the spreadsheet that Calvert put together for analyzing a flip property is, in my opinion, the gold standard. And Dale, you should be selling that one, to be brutally honest. You should sell that that analyzer because it is that good, to be honest. Yeah, it, you know, you thank you very much for that, Russell. It, it is a really good analyzer. We, hopefully we don't miss anything, but if people find out that it misses something, let us know because we want to make it even better. 
for the people that we serve and work with. Because, you know, for us, our borrower success is our success. And that's really important to us. We want to help people make sure they're profitable and make sure that they keep doing what they love to doing so they can keep doing it. Yeah. And for those of you that if you're spreadsheet nerds and you're geeks in that respect, it's one of those ones, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. It's it, it's in GOAT category, right? So, sorry, I'm not trying to pump you up and, you know, putting a whole bunch of light in your fire under there, Dale, right? I'm not doing that. I'm just telling it like it is. It's 100% the truth of from what I've seen. And I've seen a lot of analyzers. It's one of the best. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. Okay. So, you know, I want to be mindful of time and it's stampede. And and I think um, I've been in communication with you and your team here about putting together maybe a few other, let's put this, we can go so many different directions. We can go into how do you do calculate ARVs? How do you then, what is the right tool for the job, right? Is it the right golf club for the job? How do you analyze the economic fundamentals of an area on a general basis and also deep dive into it? And so, would I be able to have a commitment from yourself or someone from your team is maybe we could have a follow-up session on something like this as well, Dale? Oh, that would be great. Yeah, we really aim to live our core values of providing an effortless experience for our borrowers, our people that we deal with, all our stakeholders, really. We really want, we're committed to their financial success. So we would love to help uh, in any way we can to speak to our, our expertise and the stuff that our borrowers have taught us as well that we can yep. we can pass on to your audience. That's our mission. Right on, right on. So, but before we do, I have another question I'm going to end off with here. But before we do go down that road, once again, what would be the best place to people to get a hold of you or maybe snap that analyzer that we've talked about? I think, well, we've got a resources section on our website and uh, we give away the analyzer. Just come and have a look at it, download it. It's specific to Alberta or to Ontario because uh, there can be jurisdictional costs that uh, are different. So under the learn section, and resources, you'd find our um, lots of blogs, actually, an economic report as well. Everything that you need there that we uh, we put out for free and and hope that you can make use of. Nice, nice, fantastic. So appreciate you offering that to everybody as well. And all right, um, Ben, before I get to the final question, the final question I'm going to prep you in advance is as follows. I usually ask the, a final question if somebody's feeling a little bit stuck. And maybe they're just not sure about what's the next step. What is some advice that you can give them? So I'm going to ask that question. But before I do, I just wanted to offer you some acknowledgement. I want to offer you an acknowledgement from how you've been providing for, you know, 30 plus years in the industry, providing a needed service for real estate investors, where a lot of banks would don't even give real estate investors the time of day. Calvert Home Mortgages is, come on in, welcome, welcome, we love you. We love real estate investors, come on in. So you guys have done an amazing job with that. And I also wanted to just thank you, as every time you and I have had a conversation, you've been extremely gracious, professional, you are a servant's heart, you come from a place of giving, and you are here to help people move forward. So I just want to acknowledge that. And the last thing I'm going to say, maybe this might be for Dean a little bit, is your team is doing a hell of a job over there, Dale. You guys, uh, the follow-up and, you know, dare I say, almost to the point of relentless with the follow-up and the stuff that Ryan was providing me and all these kind of things, it just it was just top-notch, absolutely top-notch. So I think that how the team is operating is a, is a function of the coaching as well. The people and the coach are also are the key players there as well. So you guys are doing an amazing job. Just wanted to acknowledge that as well. 
Thanks very much, Russell. It sounds like we're living our values then if we're if we're coming off that way. So I really appreciate that feedback. 100% you are. All right. So the final question then is, um, if somebody was sitting here and they're listening to this or watching this, these two bald-headed gentlemen reminiscing about Saskatchewan and the prairies and all that kind of stuff, and they're sitting there and they're just feeling a little bit stuck, and they're just not sure what the next step is, what advice would you give to that person about what the next step for them to take? You know, reach out to your experts, reach out to your network. That's probably the best advice I could give. And, and you know, whether that's ourselves, a trusted lawyer, a trusted realtor, a trusted mortgage broker, particularly mortgage brokers, but reaching out to your network where you feel stuck, where it would relate to financing your mortgage broker and ourselves or even other private lenders. We, by the way, often refer our competitors if we don't feel that we're in the right position to help the person in the best way possible. And so, you know, pick up the phone and talk to us if you want to, if you're having a financial challenge with your properties or can't can't seem to get the mortgage that you think is should be available for you out there. We might be able to help and steer you in the right direction. And I really do think that the professionals that you can connect with in the industry that have an understanding of where a real estate investor is and is likely to be in their unique challenges, I think that would be the best advice uh, to seek out those types of professionals who really understand the real estate investor framework and what makes them successful. Because I think they'll be able to drill in and figure out what the position that's being stuck in that can really unlock that. Wow. Wow. Ooh. Hey, bring in the fire, my brother. Bring in the fire. <laughs> oh, and I 100... Oh, well, we get, when there's fire, it's obviously a bomb, eh, Dale? Right. <laughs> Well, and I 100% echo what you just said is number one is, gang, you're not alone, really. When you think you're feeling stuck and when things are getting either it's a little bit heavy or a little dark, or you're just not sure what to do. That is when you need your community. That is when you need your mentors. That is when you need your coaches the most when things are a little bit in the uncertainty stage. Don't go run and hide. This is the time to pick up the phone and just have that conversation. There are people that have been through this before. And if you need some help just getting unstuck, there's wonderful resources that are out there to help. So, Dale, it's been, woo, you delivered the goods, my friend. Delivered the goods. Thanks very much. It's your questions that reveal it all. So thanks very much. Oh, well, you're buttering my bread now, butter, brother. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Why don't we just leave it there, Dale? I think there's going to be a lot more for you and I to follow. And I think we've even got a couple other things with you and your team lined up. And I can't wait to introduce more of the team from Calvin Home Mortgages my audience because they're a wonderful resource to help each and every one of you. Okay, gang, with all that being said, you have yourself a wonderful day. Bye for now. So what did you think of today's episode? Wasn't that a fun conversation? You know, like I mentioned in the intro, I'm just honored and I'm just blessed to have such amazing people in my life. And it truly is when you've been blessed, when I've been blessed It is my duty, it is my honor, it is my privilege, it is my obligation to help bless others. When you've been truly blessed, you need to bless others. So that's what I'm I'm here to do. That's what this podcast is. It's a labor of love. It's uh, about paying it forward. It's about helping the next generation of real estate investors, you know, not make the big giant mistakes that I made along the way or, or the Dale Kellers of the world or all the wonderful guests that I've had on this show. It's all about helping you move forward, introducing you to some amazing people on this journey and being just a guiding light for you. 
Okay, gang, just um, another quick heads up before I sign off here is um, in some markets across the country, the real estate market is pivoting. It's shifting. And you need to have amazing people on your side. This is the time not to shy away from coaching or not to shy away from support or not to shy away from asking for help. This is the time when you need your mentors and coaches and uh, professional advisors the most. When things get the roughest and things get the rockiest and things pivot and you're just not sure where to turn, you need to have a good team to turn towards. So I mentioned it in the opening that if you're interested in being part of a team, being a part of an amazing team of entrepreneurs, of real estate investors that are moving forward, that are taking action, that, you know, doesn't, changing markets don't phase them. Oh, maybe I'll rephrase that. It phases them, but they put it into context, they get good advice, and then they take action and keep moving forward. If you want to be part of a group like that, I would highly encourage you to check out the Raising Capital Academy. That's all I'm going to say is in the show notes below, there will be a link to check out the Raising Capital Academy. All the details are there. I think I still have it set up as a one-time lifetime price to get all access to all the materials. And I'm outlining another eight weeks of webinars and seminars for the group there. And everybody who's part of that community will get that for free. You don't have to keep paying. You don't have to pay a monthly charge. You don't have to pay a yearly charge. So far, it's still a one-time lifetime access, one price. And if you're interested in being part of that community, check out the link below and I would love to see your application. When you fill out the application, it is by application only. When you do fill out that application, it goes directly to me and then I get to see it. And then we have a conversation and see if it's a fit for both of us. All right, gang, with all that being said, let's get after it here. You know, markets shift, your goals don't. Markets shift, your dreams your passions, your visions, they don't shift. You just get a little bit tougher. You get a little stronger. You get a little more grittier, a little more resilience in what you're doing. And your goals and dreams are not going anywhere. So what you just need to do is to grab this market by the horns and let's go. All right, everybody. Remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.